Welcome to the Tech Ed Podcast, where we visit with leaders who are shaping, innovating, and disrupting technical education. People who are not afraid to think differently, not afraid to try something new, all with the goal of securing the American dream for the next generation of STEM and workforce talent. Welcome into the Tech Ed Podcast. My name is Matt Kirkner, and I am your host this week and every week. It is absolutely fantastic to have you back with us. If you've been following us all year, you know that we have been busy at the Tech Ed Podcast. In addition to a new episode streaming every single week, we have been all over the United States. We spent the better part of the week at the International Manufacturing Technology Show in September of this year, interviewing all kinds of people doing great things in technical education and industry. We did the same thing at Rockwell Automation's Automation Fair in Chicago just a few short weeks ago. Last week, we were out in the Pacific time zone, live streaming two days in a row from the ACTE show. So it has been a really busy year for all of us here at the Tech Ed Podcast and for our guests as well. Now, one of the things that we hear all the time when we are out at all of these events, when we're out talking to people doing amazing things in technical education, we hear about partnerships. We hear about individuals partnering with community colleges and community colleges partnering with universities and universities partnering with industrial employers and those employers partnering with public policymakers and people driving the policies that make technical education what it is. Today, we have a guest who has absolutely mastered the idea of building partnerships not just at every level of education, but with private employers, but with public policymakers, but with statewide agencies, federal agencies, and so on. Our guest today on the Tech Ed Podcast is going to tell us all about that important work. He comes to us in the form of Dr. Jim Sawyer. Jim is the president of Macomb Community College. And Jim, thanks so much for being with us. Well, thank you, man. I really appreciate the invitation to participate. And as we referenced in the introduction, we at the Tech Ed Podcast are all about partnerships. I know you are all about partnerships. And as I suggested, you've really got this figured out. And I'm looking forward to sharing some of the things that you're doing at Macomb Community College with our audience here at the Tech Ed Podcast. Our theme, if you haven't figured it out, is all about partnerships. And because you excel at developing these types of arrangements and strategic relationships for the benefit, by the way, of your students, of your partners, and the community, I know our audience would love to hear, Jim, about how you're leveraging partnerships with organizations like Macomb County, Michigan Works, and the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Well, yeah, thanks, man. As you've indicated, really, partnerships are a key to our success at the college. We really see collaboration as one of the fundamental things we need to do to best serve our students, serve our employees, and serve the community. So we work, we work very closely with, uh, for example, our planning and economic development arm in Macomb County and Michigan Works. We visit companies together to try to help determine what their needs are and how we might be able to best work together to, to meet those needs. And we, we go not only on retention visits like that, but we go out in business attraction as well, because we know um, having a skilled workforce is one of those criti- uh, critical elements for companies when they're trying to decide where they want to relocate. Yeah, that skilled workforce part is so very important. And, you know, we hear, Jim, from employers all over the United States. And as our audience knows, we have had some of the most prolific leaders of manufacturing companies and industrial companies across the U.S. on on as guests with us over the course of the last two years. I think we're up to somewhere around 15 chairmen and CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. So we talked to companies large and small, by the way, small employees and midsize employers sometimes get lost in this whole 
mix of of workforce development and and skilled development and and it, they're really the most important part in many cases of our economy. I know that you have spent a lot of time building relationships with local employers, helping them attract skilled talent, retain skilled talent. And as we talk to them, that is one of the most critical areas for them in terms of growing their organizations is having the right talent that they need in order to be successful. So we've got other community colleges, other technical colleges, other educational thought leaders on with us listening today. What are some tips that you would share with them, Jim Sawyer, for how you go about building those relationships with employers of all sizes? Yeah, I think that's that's key. I think, Matt, is that you know while we We've got you know great relationships with large employers like General Motors. I would say our sweet spot really is a small and medium suppliers in our community. And, and in Macomb County, we engineer, design, and make things. That's what we do. It's part of the DNA. So you know it's very important that we serve those those local employers. I think for us, it starts with a great staff. I, I've got a phenomenal group of folks who actually interact with our employers directly and our other, our other uh, partners on the government side or education side. And then we've got very good trainers as well. So I think, you know, that's really the, the fundamental element. You have to have good people to do good work. And, you know, one thing we're particularly good at is we listen. You know, we listen to what the needs are of the employer, and then we deliver. And I think we've, over the years, we've built up that reputation. They know we're someone they can count on. We're going to be honest and authentic if it's something that's beyond our capabilities, we're going to share that with them. And it's building that sense of trust that we want employers to see us as someone when they get presented with an issue or a problem, they think of us to reach out to to try to help solve that. You know, I think of Stephen Covey and some of the work that he's done as you answer that question. And his his line was always seek first to understand and then to be understood. And we understand by listening to other people. And that's exactly what you embedded in that that answer right there is the importance of listening, listening to your employer partners, understanding what it is that their needs are, and then having, to your point, a great staff and a great group of trainers and instructors that can deliver that learning and really kind of hit that sweet spot for the client in terms of what their needs are. Uh, you know, the world of workforce training is it's becoming a lot more complex, I think, than, than it used to be. Employers now, you know, we can't just put an instructor in a in a classroom within an employer's facility for eight hours or once a week and expect that to work. We've got to be a lot more flexible as work schedules are changing, as the needs of manufacturing and other industries are changing. So I think that's the way that we do it. I think you nailed it, which is listening and then having the right people on our team as we deliver learning to employers of all sizes. And to your point, you know, there's a lot of small to mid-sized businesses that drive American manufacturing, certainly drive your uh, manufacturing base and your industrial base there in the Detroit area and Southeast Michigan. I want to talk about some of those larger employers as well. They're, they're really important. And I know you have one in particular that I have quite a bit of experience with. You know, my father-in-law actually worked on the production line at General Motors for 33 years. I was a major supplier to several of their manufacturing plants, including the one in Fort Wayne, Indiana, during my 23 years of manufacturing experience and leadership. And I understand you have quite a partnership with GM there in Southeast Michigan. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, the college has a, gosh, as you point out, man, a longstanding partnership with General Motors. Um, we're fortunate to have the General Motors Technical Center, which is you know globally renowned, right located right in the middle of our county. Matter of fact, one of our main training centers is a half mile from there, and one of our main campuses is a couple miles away. So uh, proximity certainly helps as well. Uh, but we've, you know, we've had training programs where we've actually had staff embedded in their plants. We've run training centers in their plants for them over the years. 
probably most recently the um, the connection we have that's really been the strongest most recently revolves around their controls and systems architecture. And for a number of years now, we've been really the sole source for providing that training, not only to General Motors staff, but to all their suppliers as well. And we've done that training all over the world. Um, and we've gone and done, you know, trained the trainer sessions and other in other parts of the, of the world. And then of course, with the, as virtual technologies become more and more prominent, we've transitioned a lot of that to virtual for them as well. So um, again, it's, a, it's an example of us meeting their needs and them and then having one supplier they can count on to provide that consistent training really across the globe. And that's when you really know you have that great relationship, right? I mean, you're you're one of many community colleges in, in the state of Michigan. And, you know, Michigan is just a, a group of, of many community and technical colleges across the United States. And when a company like General Motors comes to you at Macomb Community College and says, we want you to travel around the around the world and help train our team members right in our plants on things like, as you suggest, controls and, and systems architecture. Well, you know, what a great, uh, I guess, just a great kudos to the to the organization. It's really a vote of confidence on the part of a of a huge Fortune 100 company here in the United States continuing to drive our, our economy forward. So congratulations on, on that work. Um, I want to talk even more now on the non-credit side. I think for our listeners that are maybe a little bit less familiar with the technical and community colleges here in the United States, just about every one of them has what we call the credit side or the non-credit side or the credit side and the business and industry or workforce solution side. And that workforce solution side is the one you know that we were just talking about that goes out into the into the field and delivers learning opportunities to the employees of private employers and others. A lot of these are short-term workforce training programs, and they rapidly prepare people for high-tech jobs, such as the ones that we were just talking about, things like robotics and controls. So go a little bit deeper on the structure of these programs and on the career opportunities that exist in that market space. You know, we really try not to use the term non-credit as much as we can here, Matt, because it has sort of a, a negative connotation to it. And to the point you've made, it really is critical to the ongoing training. And when we use, we typically use the term workforce training at the college. And, you know, these are uh, non-traditional packages of, of content of curriculum. You know, you don't earn credit towards a degree, but you're learning, the learning outcomes are the same. And we package them in such a way that we're preparing students to go out in the world of work immediately. You know, but, but the perspective we take at Macomb is a little different than, than many community colleges because we align our workforce training with our academic side of the house as well. And that's a little unusual. Most of the time, you'll find the workforce training is a separate entity. And we have it integrated because from our perspective, learning is learning. When students are learning the outcomes, whether it's for credit or, or whether it's not, has no, no bearing for the student or the employer. It's just a matter of that, that person learning those skills. So we really see it as, a, as an opportunity to become a building block. So we a term we use, is, and I hate to use too much jargon, but a term we use is articulation. So we'll take students who who demonstrate competency with learning outcomes on the workforce side, and we'll articulate that to credit on the credit side. And what that does is it kind of gives the student a head start. Should they choose to come back and and pursue a degree, which we encourage, um, they're making the the best use of the time they spent with us learning the skills in the first place. 
think you explained it really well. It's really about giving people credit for for prior learning. If you already know something, you have a competency, you have a skill, let's make in the same way we do in manufacturing, let's make the education process as efficient as possible so that we can take that individual and not force them into having to take coursework over again that maybe they're already proficient or competent in and being able to give them credit for that work that they did on the, on the workforce side. So the short-term workforce programs, they tie back to academic programs though, right? So, so can you talk a little bit more about what that process is to make your credit and your workforce side of the business or the academic side and the workforce side of the college work so seamlessly together? What's the trick to doing that? Because I can tell you a lot of colleges haven't figured that out yet. Well, I think the, the key to that is really, as I said earlier, having it aligned with the academic unit and the workforce unit together. They all report up through one dean. And, you know, the, that way, you know, I, I see the the workforce training in many ways is, is sort of our border scout, right? They're out interacting with employers on a more regular basis. They may be more current even than our academic programs. And by having those areas work so closely together, they're able to, to share that knowledge and help us keep our academic programs up to date as well. But the key is to really align the learning outcomes. And once you're able to do that, then it's just a matter of having a, a paperwork process where students apply for that credit and they're able to get it on their degree. And, you know, it's important to note that they may not use that immediately, Matt. It may be something that they come back to later, but once it's on the transcript, it's something that's there forever and, again, builds on knowledge they already had. You use the term credit for prior learning, and I think that's something that all community colleges are aspiring to make better use of because it's not fair to the student to spend the time or the money to repeat content to learn things they've already that they've already learned if they can demonstrate competency. So, you know, it, it is a good analogy you know, comparing to manufacturing, trying to be as efficient as possible for the student been making these, whether it's a, a third-party credential, you know, maybe a, a certificate um, that, a, that a student or learner learned as part of a workforce program and so on, making these stackable so that they, that they're, again, not wasting time, that they're able to use whatever they've learned and whatever competencies they have as a pathway to really creative opportunities in the world of workforce education, which is becoming more and more creative. And I think uh, educators are becoming maybe by by need, a lot more flexible in the way that we're thinking about delivering some of these learning programs, which I, which I think is actually a, a really, really great thing. You know, on this topic of third-party credentials, we had Susan Corbin, uh, who's the director of the Labor and Economic Opportunity Department for uh, the state of Michigan on with us last year, talking all about your governor, Governor Whitmer's initiative called 60 by 30, 60% of the, of the workforce, of the adult age workforce, having a third-party credential by the year 2030, as opposed to 30% by the by the year 2060, which would be the way that I stated it the first time. But let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, you've partnered uh, with a lot of different organizations for the benefit of the, the pipeline for the Michigan workforce. How have you been involved in some of these workforce initiatives, especially the 60 by 30 initiative? Well, coincidentally enough, we have uh, Director Corbin and Sarah Skuperick, who is actually running this, the uh, 60 by 30 program coming to the campus tomorrow. Oh, fantastic. Our team. So, say, say hi to the know, director. It's kind of serendipitous, me. actually. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, and, and that really the point of that whole discussion is about partnerships, man, to try to talk about what can we do further. But we have been certainly engaged with the state thus far. A couple of great programs we have that have really been beneficial to students. One was called Futures for Frontliners, that was really initiated by Governor Whitmer, really focusing on those um, people who did the frontline jobs during the in the beginning of the pandemic, think uh, grocery store clerks or gas station clerks, those types of folks. And really, she likened it to a GI Bill where students were able to get their tuition paid for if they served those frontline jobs. 
So at Macomb, we had up to 1,500 students in a couple of our terms. That number is beginning to dwindle because there's a very uh, specific slice in time where those folks were eligible. But another program that's been recently developed is something called Michigan Reconnect, which is a program that pays for tuition for any student 25 years and older who has not earned a degree thus far. So it's a great opportunity for students who come back and, and um, you know, that can finish a, finish a degree. In, in Southeast Michigan alone, we've got over 700,000 people with some college and no degree. And often, you know, there's a number of barriers that make that happen, but certainly financial is one of them we know. So by having this Michigan Reconnect scholarship available to pay the tuition, it's really opened up the doors for, for many students. At Macomb, there again, we've had uh, close to 2,000 students in a term taking advantage of Michigan Reconnect. So those, those are great opportunities. We may have had some of those students anyways, but gosh, to be able to have their tuition paid for, it certainly brings in more than we would otherwise have. Absolutely. Well, you just think about that, the magnitude of some of those numbers, 2,000 students taking advantage of, of Michigan Reconnect, 1,500 taking advantage of, was it Futures for Frontliners? Is Futures that, for Frontliners. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I believe Director Corbin actually shared a little bit about that when she was on with us. And and for our listeners, we'll, uh, we'll link up in the show notes the episode for... Uh, from uh, Director Corbin as well, if anybody wants to go back and listen to that great discussion that we had with her. And then you think about these, did you say 750,000 individuals in the state of Michigan or that uh, have some college but have not completed a degree? Did I get that right? Well, over 700,000. And that's just in Southeast Michigan. Oh, wow. So it's a, it's, a, it's a large number, yes. So just an incredible opportunity for individuals that are trying to figure out the next step in their career. We all know that the workforce is changing and changing at a rapid rate in my world of manufacturing. It's just incredible how quickly things like automation and even artificial intelligence and machine learning are starting to transform the world of manufacturing. We are going to have to have a whole new set of competencies, understandings, abilities, not just on the part of people that are coming out of our community colleges and our technical colleges here in the United States, but on the part of that incumbent workforce as well. All of these efforts, Jim, we know take huge amounts of investment. And and you've got just a, a huge investment going on right now at Macomb Community College. I understand you're undergoing a $40 million renovation project for the Skilled Trades and Technology Center. This was motivated by changes in the workforce that we were just talking about. So tell us about what motivated this huge investment on the part of the future of Southeast Michigan. Well, you know, it was, um, as I said earlier, Macomb County is really uh, making things, engineering things. That's really in our in our DNA. And we've had uh, an area of the college where we've done a great job keeping those programs current, buying equipment, just so that our students were learning on the latest and greatest technology and were prepared to enter the workforce. But the reality was the facility was dated and built in the mid-60s. Probably the best example I use is uh, in one wing of the building, we had a, a one-stall woman's restroom hmm. because back in the 60s, women didn't take those classes, right? right. So just just goes to show how antiquated those facilities were. So we're, we're expanding the facility slightly. We'll have 130,000 square feet when we're done. We're being very conscious of the convergence of the different technologies, uh, making sure we're integrating those things into the into the facility as we set up our different programs. Um, as you said, it's a $40 million project. We were pleased to receive $15 million from the state of Michigan through a program they call Capital Outlay. It's the largest capital outlay we've received from the state of Michigan and certainly was instrumental in helping fund this, uh, this facility. But I, I, we're blessed to have a good board of trustees who recognize the importance in making the investments in our facilities and technology for the programs that are important for our students, 
but also important for the employers and communities. So the fact that we've been very well run fiscally over the years puts us in a position to be able to make this investment for the good of everyone. Well, and talk about the work of you mentioned your your board of directors, and I think for our listeners, they probably recognize that that our community colleges and technical colleges uh, often, in fact, probably all the time, have a, a board of of directors, a leadership group that is actually helping set strategy, helping understand funding, approve budgets, uh, hold hold administrations accountable, and so on. Talk a little bit about how both your board and the college and this huge investment shows support for for the overall community. Sure. Well, in, in Macomb's case, and in the state of Michigan's case, I should say, uh, our community college trustees are elected officials. So at Macomb, they're elected to, to uh, six-year terms. We've got seven trustees, nonpartisan elections. So these are folks who just have a commitment to the college and want to give back to the community, something they take very seriously. So, you know, in our case, their their primary job is to hire the president, right? They hire me to kind of run the run the operation overall, if you will, but they're involved with approving our administrators and faculty as well. And then it's really, uh, the, the, the onus is on us to bring forth ideas for them and, and things that we think are going to be important for moving the college forward and how we can best serve our students, best serve the community. And I've been at the college 20 years. I've been president for five, but we've been I've been here 20. And We've always enjoyed great support from our trustees. We've got we were very fortunate in that respect, and you know they pay attention to what's going on out in the community as well. I guess I didn't appreciate that yours were actually elected by the public. I think the ones that ours here are, are appointed. But really, what a what a perfect way to make sure that not only the college is is um, accountable to the trustees, but that the trustees are accountable to the public. Right? They're actually, I mean, they've got a boss too, and that's the the working men and women and, and all the folks there in Southeast Michigan that are that are putting them on this board to make sure that they've got the right people setting that strategy and holding you accountable. But building those relationships and having people know that you're going to deliver on what your promises are. That if you say you're going to get this done, you're going to get it done. If you say there's a need in the community, that there is that need in the community and that you're going to deliver to help, in this case, you know, workforce training and preparing the next generation of the American workforce to be able to deliver on that commitment. And so that credibility is so very important. And it's really in the same way as we segue into the next question, the same way that, for instance, a third-party credential creates credibility for a candidate that's going to work in a in, in a manufacturing company or, or in any other organization for that matter. I'll admit that when I was um, in the world of manufacturing, I knew very little about third-party credentials. I was a manufacturing CEO for 23 years. Uh, then I come over to education. And at the time, there were like 900 different third-party certifications, a lot of them being created for a lot of different reasons. Um, and we've come a long way, I think, in the last five to seven years. We've already talked about 60 by 30, the initiative statewide in, in your state of Michigan around third-party credentialing. But I want to go a little bit deeper on that. You know, Part of the recent investments in your engineering and advanced technology programs have been to incorporate industry-recognized credentials through organizations like, I'll just mention the Smart Automation Certification Alliance because I'm a big fan of their work and I also serve on their national board. Um, you're all actually the first college the first college in all of the Midwest to offer gold certification training to instructors across the state. I have gold for our listeners who don't know. The SACA gold, gold credentials are the portion of the Smart Automation Certification Alliance credentials that show that an individual has the hands-on skills associated with an individual credential. In other words, if they have this, the credential in electric motor control, for instance, not just that they have that knowledge 
but they can also demonstrate that applied knowledge, which is really, really important in, in this case in the world of manufacturing. So talk about your partnerships with organizations like SACA and how they benefit um, your, your students and your industry partners as well. First of all, I really agree with the statement you made, Matt, that there's a, been a real um, a growing appreciation over the last five or seven years. I and mean, I spent my first 15 years in manufacturing as well. And, you know, credentials really didn't exist. I I was a certified quality engineer, you know, through ASQ. There were things like that, or AWS, but but there weren't a lot of, of credentials. And part of the, you know, as you get in it, when as I got an education, that plethora of credentials wasn't necessarily a good thing either that you talked about, the 900 different things, because what's important, what's of value. But I think what's really driving this from my perspective is the employers now are starting to pay attention to some of these things. And in a lot of ways, it's because they're frankly questioning the value of a college degree, right? They're, they're wondering, wow, do I need someone with all of this? I really, these are really the skills that I need today. And particularly as unemployment in, in our area, unemployment is about 3.7%. So they're struggling, struggling to find people. As we said earlier, if they can find a third party credential that recognizes the skills they're looking for, then that's really something they're, they're going to adapt to. And I, I frankly see this as something that's going to just continue. Uh, you mentioned stackable credentials previously. I mean, if someone's able to, to stack these industry certifications on themselves, you know, in our case, one that we often use is OSHA. You know, you don't think about that, but for someone who's brand new to a manufacturing environment, being able to demonstrate they have uh, some basic understanding of OSHA and, and how to operate in a safe work environment, well, that's huge for an employer, right? That's that uh, takes a big risk off of their uh, or, or some concern about risk in terms of safety in the plant. So, you know, I think it's something we're going to continue to see from a college perspective. It's about trying to align with those organizations that we think are going to be, you know, that are going to be around, frankly. You know, trying to, to it's, it, I don't want to say pick winners and losers because we're not sophisticated enough to do that. But certainly try to look at credentials that align with the areas that we're trying to help train and educate for. and and give those students a, a leg up, hopefully. And if I can just offer a personal opinion, again, as somebody that came over from industry and has now learned quite a bit about the whole world of, of third-party credentials, I mean, I think there's a lot of different ones, and there's a lot of really, really good ones. And the best ones, in my opinion, are the ones that are created, number one, by partnering with industrial employers to define what the competencies are, you know, no, meaning no offense to either one of us. It doesn't mean, it doesn't matter what I think is important. It doesn't matter what you think it's important. What matters is what those industrial employers think is important when they're hiring you know, when they're hiring talent for whatever whatever the position is, that part of it is really important. But I think the very best credentials do exactly that. You know, and you think about the involvement in, of industrial employers and, and if, if some of these credential bodies are going out and asking them the right questions, getting the right feedback, building partnerships with industrial employers over time. I know that's something that you've had a tremendous amount of success for. I'd be interested in in asking Jim as you think about other educators across the country whether it's a, a you know a high school, a school district, another community or technical college, university educators and so on. What are some of those keys that they should think about in terms of going out and building partnerships with their individual industrial employers and partners? Well, you know, I think it's um it really becomes very uh, local, right? From a community college perspective, it's really about paying attention to the employers in your region and what they do. And, you know, back to my first point about listening, right? Once you start establishing those relationships, listen to what their needs are, and then, you know, deliver effectively on those, or frankly, 
if you can't be up, up be upfront and honest about that, you know, and look to maybe maybe you can partner with another community college, right? I, I talked to our our other sister colleges. Just had a conversation last week with one of them who was look, assessing an opportunity. He's still vetting it out, but he was wondering if we'd be willing to partner if necessary. Absolutely, right? Absolutely. That's we're in this to work together to try to. It's a regional economy, right? So just because he happens to be across a a road in a county doesn't mean anything. So I think, you know, I think all community colleges need to be reaching out and, and having those interactions in the community. And that's what's funny is I've been doing this for 20 years now, and it's really changed, Matt, because, you know, it's it's challenge for the schools to do that, but it's also a challenge for the industry partners because they're running lean and mean now too. And I, you know, when I began, there was people who had the job of being the community college liaison. Well, those don't exist anymore, or they're very rare. So it's really a matter of, you know, trying to have more of a personal relationship. And part of that's predicated on being an effective partner for them, right? They need to see value in the relationship as well. So um, it takes continued nurturing to to do that. And our and our, I will tell you, I said earlier, we have great staff. Our staff is phenomenal at that. Yeah, building those relationships on the part of everybody in the entire organization. So, so very important. One of the things that we chat about when we talk with folks on the on the education side. In fact, I'll tell a quick story because we have a moment here. When I was uh, running the the last company that we we actually sold at the end of 2014, so it's been a few years now. Hard to believe that's been eight years since <laughs> since we sold that company. Time goes by pretty quickly. But I got a letter about a year before that from one of the local high schools. I won't say exactly which one, but one of the local high schools, and they said, "Hey, we're trying to expand our technical." education program, would you be willing to send us a check for $50,000 to support the program? And and then the guy called me about a month later and he said, would you be willing to meet? I said, sure. And he said, you know, I sent out like 25 of those letters and not a single person sent me the $50,000. And I said, well, why would they? You know, they don't know. They don't know you. They don't know what it is you're trying to accomplish. They don't know why. They don't know what's in it for them. You know, you really have to build that relationship. And we talked about the importance of you ask for help, not money. You never go out begging for money. You go out and say, how can we build that relationship? That's some of the advice that we have on the education side, right? So ask for help, not money. On the industrial employer side, the first question I always ask people when they say anything about workforce or recruiting people or having a hard time finding the right people. I say, how many of your community college advisory board does your team serving on? And you can tell right away if they're if 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 they're really, really engaged on the advisory side of things, if they're spending time helping faculty, helping staff figure out what should the curriculum look like? What equipment should we be teaching these on? What are those outcomes that are going to be really, really important? If you're engaged that way, it's amazing how much easier it is to be able to have access to the talent coming out of those programs. And so that's some of the advice that we give to industrial employers is you need to be engaged too. You know, get, get over to the college, meet the students, serve on the advisory boards, open up the doors of your facility so they can come in and see what it is that you do. If you support the college financially, those are the ways that we build long-term relationships. So I really like the way that you answered that question when we're giving advice to to educators in terms of building those industry relationships. Jim, we've got time for one more piece of advice. And it's a question that we love to ask every single one of our guests here on the Tech Ed Podcast. You've got tremendous experience in the world of education, now running Macomb Community College and leading that organization for five years, 15 years in the world of manufacturing. So a huge breadth of experience. As you sit here and you think about the future of a high school sophomore, a 15 or 16-year-old young person with their whole life ahead of them, if you, Jim Sawyer, had one piece of advice to give to that high school student, what would that advice be? It would be to explore. 
to explore, you know, and, and not only things that are of interest to you. I think that's important. You should really explore that further, but really try to challenge yourself to, to stretch your boundaries. When you're young, there's so much you don't know. Right. And, you know, manufacturing is a great example where there's so many different opportunities. Right. I, you know, I'm an engineer and I'm in education now. Right. The more you explore different fields, probably one that always strikes me that I got involved with early in my career was production control. You know, now it's supply chain management. Right. But I didn't even know that career existed. But for part of my career, I spent some time doing that and really enjoyed it. But, you know, when you're when you're, if you're a 15 year old kid, you're not going to necessarily understand what those areas are. Supply chain now has become a lot more in our service world today with Amazon and so forth. It's, it's probably not a good example because that's better, much better understood. But the healthcare areas too, everyone knows what a nurse is or a doctor. They don't know about a respiratory therapist or an occupational therapist. So that's where the exploration to what those real opportunities are, I think, can, can open up a young person's mind and let them see that there's a lot of different opportunities further down these different channels. For sure. You know, as you talk, I'm glad you brought that example of supply chain up. Um, I, I And I'm sure you do a lot of this as well, but, I, you know, I'll get probably every, every other week, there's some, you know, call them somewhere between, you know, 15 and 25-year-old individual whose parents call or maybe they call and say, hey, would you sit down with so-and-so? You know, they just they have some some questions about careers in manufacturing, about being an entrepreneur, about, you know, where, where they should go, should go to college, what their degree should be or whatever. And and so I had one of these meetings a couple of years ago, and it was a it was a gentleman, great guy that had just graduated from a supply chain program with a bachelor's degree in supply chain management. And and I said, he said, hey, I'm trying to figure out what you know where should I, where I should go with my career. And I said, well, you know, what is it that you want to do? What would what would be interesting to you? And he said, supply chain. And I said, okay, well, what part of supply chain? He's like, well, you know, <laughs> supply chain. <laughs> he had a major in supply chain. And I was like, well, okay, supply chain. And if you were in production control, you know, right? I mean, that can be everything from, you know, being out in the field, sourcing materials to working in, you know, shipping and receiving and procurement, you know, understanding production supervision, production processes, process engineering, the logistics on the back end. I mean, supply chain is a really, really from, from one end, raw materials all the way to delivery of a final product to a consumer. That's a that's a big, big gap. And I was like, let's narrow in on that. As it turned out, that, that young man ended up deciding that he was really interested in production supervision. And we helped him find a great position with a local company helping to supervise one of their production departments. And so, you know, to your point, getting that exposure, understanding and stretching those possibilities, stretching that future, uh, and being creative about how you do that. And I think that's really, really good advice and advice that I can tell, Jim, that you followed yourself throughout your career or at a minimum as you're, you know, in your leadership position there at Macomb Community College, whether it's, you know, finding a way to raise $40 million to create a state-of-the-art facility for, for your community, whether it is working with people at the state level on on efforts like 60 by 30 and and others, whether it's figuring out a way to be really creative in terms of how you deliver learning in the world of workforce and build relationships with your industrial and other employers. Uh, just, just an incredible record of stretching your own boundaries, which was embedded in that last answer to your advice for a, a high school student. So I just want to thank you, Jim Sawyer, president of Macomb Community College, coming on the Tech Ed Podcast, helping educate our audience a little bit about how to build relationships and how you're doing all the great things you're doing there at, at Macomb. Well, thank you, man. I really appreciate the opportunity. It was great talking with you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tech Ed Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe, leave a review, and if you like this episode, share it with a friend. 
New episodes launch every Tuesday, so listen in next week.